Our job is to give people the advice that they need, the tools that they need to help them attain their definition of success. And that's it. That's our job. Hi, this is Alexandria from Sacramento, California. You're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast that helps you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. In this episode of You're a Financial Planner, Now What? Hannah Moore, CFP, and Desarte Yarnway, founder and managing director of Burknell Financial Group, talk about his path to the profession and founding his own firm. Up next, they discuss who Burknell serves and how, the books Desarte has authored, his approach to clients, and what Onward to Greatness means. But first, this episode is sponsored by... We all know how important it is to have quality disability insurance. Through the FPA and Ryan Insurance, you have access to a group disability insurance policy as an FPA member. I know this firsthand because I've gotten my personal disability insurance through the FPA group disability insurance for many years. It streamlined the process for me and provided an affordable and easy option to ensure that me and my family are protected in case something were to happen. The open enrollment for group disability insurance starts February 1st. Go to associationinsurancebenefits.com to find the rates and how you can sign up. Well, thanks for joining us today, Desarte. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I've been watching everything that you've been doing. Uh, Super exciting and congratulations to you. Yes, well, thank you. Same with you as well. There has been a lot that your name just keeps popping up everywhere. So I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and share really what you're doing and and really your mission and, and how you're approaching financial planning. So excited for this conversation. Likewise. So you're eight years into your financial planning career, and we're going to talk through some of the some of the different things that uh, that that you've done. But what's what's so interesting to me is how you've branded yourself. And whenever I think of you, I think of the word onward. Yes. So can you tell me tell me what that's about, and and how is that really kind of influenced your financial planning career, and, and what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, onward to greatness started actually as a Facebook posts back in 2009. So if you follow my blog, podcast, any of the content that I release, you probably know that I played football in college. I went to the University of California, Berkeley. I was a highly touted recruit and a high school All-American at the time. Um, but as soon as I got there, in anticipation, like right before the first game, I, I suffered my first injury. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, this sucks. Right. Life has given me lemons, but I'm going to continue to push onward to greatness. Um, years following, I got into a couple other injuries and my football career kind of took a turn, but I was committed to just making sure that no matter what happened, the destination would be something great. And it, it's kind of my war trend in saying that no matter what the circumstance looks like, um, greatness is within you. You can be great. You can do great things and you can have a great impact on the world and the people around you. So that's kind of what it means to me. I wrote a blog on Brecknell.com just explaining the 10 points of Onward uh, to Greatness. And I think that that serves as a good compass for anybody who's striving to be their best selves. How have you seen that play out in your financial planning career? In terms of just the messaging, I feel like it's something now that has resonated with my clients, resonated with my colleagues, resonated with the industry, right? Because now if it's like, we are all going through something, right? And this is can just be like the moniker or the war cry for everyone, right? When you think about whatever you're trying to pursue, whether that's the goals embedded into your financial plan, being a better husband, being a better father, mother, whatever the case is, like you can, you can root for yourself. You can encourage yourself. You can um, affirm yourself. And I think that 
um, it's something that has gotten bigger than me. Um, again, something that everybody can relate to. And it's kind of just spreading like wildfire. Oh, I love it. It is certainly a message we can get behind. Uh, so you were in college, you were, you know, an athlete. Uh, did you imagine yourselves in this financial planning space as a career option? I did not. So it's interesting you asked that question because when you, I come from an African household, so it's like, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should be an engineer or something like that. And quite honestly, those things were good and all, right? But they weren't exciting enough for me. I mean, I came from like running and scoring 60-yard touchdowns and it just didn't do it for me. But I tried it. I tried all these different industries, which I think is important for anybody entering, you know, any industries to make sure that you date around with careers. So I would take summer internships at tech companies, at um, hospitals, right, um, in different trades, just to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then I stumbled across a firm, an independent firm at that, that really showed me that there was a way to make money while you slept, right? That was like super cool to me because I, I, I'm of a generation, I'm first generation um, Liberian American. My parents came from Liberia after a civil war. Um, my mother was born on a rubber plantation. So like, as you might imagine, she didn't get the tools and the information and the knowledge needed to really build generational wealth. They were just trying to figure it out, right? So going to this place and they're like, this is how you do it. That, that excited me. That gave me that same feeling of um, playing on the football field or running out of the tunnel at Memorial Stadium. And I thought that that was something that I should lean into. Um, and eight years later, here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I can't wipe the smile off my face of, of thinking of financial planning as that exciting. Like it's, you know, these other professions are boring, but like, this is really, and, and I love it because that totally resonates with me. Uh, there's so much opportunity and, and the impact we can have truly is great in financial planning. Let's, let's lean into that though. Right. Because you might not think about it as like bells and whistles or like a touchdown, but when you see, a client reach their goals. That's like a win. That's yeah. a touchdown, right? When you have a built a great investment portfolio and it performs well, not only to the upside, but the downside, that's a win, right? When you find a way to help a client reduce their tax liability, that's a win. When you're slaving over that financial plan and you find the solution that's going to work for that person, that's a big play. That's how I look at it, right? So it begins to be exciting. You begin to like, you want that, right? That, that, that hit. And it's like, hey, this is great. I'm helping people. It's fun. It's challenging. Right. Um, and I think that's what the, the industry does for me. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so true. And and it is. It's addicting. And it's it's like the best kind of addiction and helping right. people. Uh, so when you graduated from school, uh, did you start working at a firm before you started your your practice or how did how was your trans transition? So I worked at a couple of different firms. Um, each for a, a year or so, right, at a time. So I went to an independent investment firm based in San Francisco where I was from. Um, and it was great. That place, I really, I say I learned something from each of these firms. So at this independent firm, I, I truly learned the power of independence. Like, wow, you can really create um, your philosophy, your way of doing things, right? And build a business around that. That was super cool to me to see. Then I went to a brokerage. At this place, they really focused on what it meant to be a human advisor. Like you, your clients have to like you. You have to be human. You have to meet them with empathy. You have to meet them with understanding, patience, right? Some of these things that soft skills that aren't taught, like you can't learn them. You, only, you can only learn them um, by being in the seat. And that's what I learned from them. Um, and then lastly, I, I worked at a bank on Wall Street. I was actually commuting from D.C. to New York and Manhattan for a short while. 
Um, and at that place, I learned the business about being a wealth advisor or, or a financial advisor. Um, the transition happened for me when I got to this institution and the account minimums were so high, like $2 million, $3 million to open an account and to work with me that I wasn't ever really able to, to serve the demographic that I really wanted to help, right? Which were people like my mom and my dad that immigrated from Liberia, people that I consider underserved and overlooked. So with that being said, I tried to take these lessons from these three firms, and that's how Burknell Financial Group was created. I just love it. And in talking to so many new planners, that is a thing that I keep hearing over and over again of just saying like, well, how do we serve people? Um, how do we serve people that have been overlooked? Uh, and there's such a passion around that. So that, that is so exciting. So I'm curious, you know, in thinking about this idea of how do you, how do you serve that? What does that look like for you? How are you serving, um, the, not the two or $3 million clients, but more of the everyday type people? Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, we do have those affluent clients, right? Yeah. But I think it's about creating the access that makes the difference. And that's what our firm has been able to do through our infrastructure. So our firm pretty much has two client groups. The first client group is called the private client group, which is your traditional kind of wealth management group, higher net worth, more complicated cases as it pertains to financial planning. Um, and the only difference is we really charge these people on a percentage-based fee, sort of like you'll see at a private bank or something like that. Now, the second group, which I'm super proud of, is the Wealth Bridge Group. And I was intentional with the name because my overall goal is to bridge some of these people, right, into the private client group. And the difference here is that these people are typically young, they're growing families, right, or they just may have started too late to have that quote-unquote asset minimum to invest on the other side. What we do is we charge them on a fixed retainer fee. Now, that provides the access for those people that would be overlooked, right, from a wirehouse or, or from like a bank to come in and work with us and get that quality sound advice. Um, in addition, access to information is also important. As you know, I've written three books. Um, we have the Young Money Podcast that uh, up until this month really was a monthly or a weekly um, podcast that came out every month. So there's a ton of resources for people who might not even be ready for the Wealth Bridge Group to kind of DIY and, and teach themselves the basics on investing and financial planning. From a service model standpoint, uh, how is what you do for the WealthBridge group different than the, what your more traditional services are? Well, it's giving them advice on, you know, the resources that they have now and, and really leaning into financial planning, creating this roadmap for people to design their best lives, as I call it in my second book, Young Money. Um, and I think that's the most important thing, right? Because they're not going to have $500,000 to roll over today. But what I hear the most, the most from people that are older, more seasoned investors, people that are either in retirement or planning to be within the next three years, they say, I wish I would have learned a lot of this earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to be that resource that is like, we're giving it to you earlier. We're giving you the roadmap. We're giving you exactly what you need to know. We're giving you a place to do it so that you won't have that same thought um, later in your life. And I think that the WealthBridge Group is all-encompassing of uh, a client community that embodies the onward to greatness spirit, right? And is looking to be generational curse breakers in a sense um, to change the financial trajectory for their families. Oh my gosh, so many terms in it that, that just jumped out to me. And the first one that you just said was this generational curse breakers. Like, and it's such, uh, I don't hear financial planners use that language often, but I can I can just imagine that as a client, if I heard my financial planner say that and that resonated with me, I would want to work with them. 
No, for sure. And that's something that I recently started saying. I've been, as much as I pour into my clients, I try to do the work and kind of like pour into myself. I think one of the, the worst things that advisors do is not take their own advice, right? Yes. So as I'm giving advice, I'm equally trying to take, take my own medicine <laughs> and um, really change my financial circumstance, really improve myself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, right? And as I'm doing this work, I see that some of the motivations for some of the decisions that I've made is to really be that generational curse breaker. We shouldn't have to worry about um, the bills being paid or, you know, retirement, right? Where a lot of people, especially immigrants, especially people in underserved neighborhoods, their parents may never retire, right? So I'm speaking to my clients on behalf of um, understanding what it feels like to be the person responsible for changing um, the, the curse of generations, right? And I think that's super important. Oh, love it. Uh, the other thing that you said in there, and I haven't heard many financial planners say this, but I think it is definitely something that I see in spaces outside of financial planning, is you talked about your client community. Are you building a community with your clients? Absolutely. I hate calling my clients clients, but I haven't found a better word. So what I'd like to do is I say Burknell's client community. And I say this because they're a part of me. Right. And I hope to be uh, deeply rooted within their lives um, in a sense that I want to be one of those early calls when they find out that they're having a baby. What do we do? Right. Um, when they when something great happens or even if something sad happens. Right. I want to be a part of those conversations and I want to do my best within my power and our firm's capability to be able to help them with whatever may arise. So I think that's really a communal aspect. And we try to make that clear. Um in how we talk to our clients and some of the educational things that we put on for our clients as well. I think that advisors have to go past looking at their clients as a quote unquote book of business because it's mm. way bigger than that. And once you start to expand um, that perspective, you begin to see like a different experience between you and your clients. And are your clients like, do your clients know each other or is it more of just kind of this community feel that you want to develop with your relationship with your clients? Yeah, I have clients working with each other. You might have a mortgage loan client doing work with a real estate client or the realtor selling a home to another client, right? A tech client. So I think that I've done a good job of creating the um, opportunities for our clients to get to know each other. And if, you know, somebody has a need that can be be fulfilled by somebody in our client community, um, the first to say, hey, you should probably talk to this person, right? Um, we, we started doing something new this year called the Burknell Town Hall. And in the Burknell Town Hall, I would invite an expert to come speak exclusively to our clients, right? Because I feel like that's probably the only time that they would hear from somebody like um, Brian Portnoy, for example, uh, best-selling author who just released How I Invest My Money, or Ryan Harris, Super Bowl champ, right, for the Denver Broncos, to come talk to them and just say, hey, like, this is how I deal with my money. These are the struggles. This is what I learned from playing in the draft. Um, and this is what I would say, right, to have that rich dialogue. And I think that little things like that make our clients feel a part of something bigger than just a financial services firm. Well, and I love it, too, how you're able to bring in kind of your background into what you're doing and with your work with clients. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's the beauty of independence, I, I think, right, because you really get to create the environment in which you want to uh, dwell in. And for me, it's an environment of love. It's an environment of servant leadership and excellence in terms of the quality of work that we're going to try to give to our clients day in and day out. So you have written three different books. What compelled you to start writing books? 
Uh, I, I've been a writer for as early as I can remember. My mom used to work like the graveyard shift for United Airlines in which she just retired a few, maybe like earlier this year. And she would work late, so I would miss her. It would be like two ships passing in the night. Um, so how I would communicate with her is I would write on, you know, like printer paper, 8 by 11, blank. Say like, hey, mom, miss you today. Um, last time you came home, I got in trouble for something, but I didn't do it. Like, you know, <laughs> being a kid, but communicating through paper. And that trait just kind of stuck with me. Um, I write a lot, right? So that was the first thing. And as I started Burknell, I was a young, I was 24 years old and a young African man trying to figure out this world of finance by itself with zero clients in my client community. Um, and with that being said, I thought that I can effectively communicate with people via, via, via through writing. And that's what I did. So I, I had a weekly blog at that time that I really like tried to meet people on the street and say, Hey, just go look at the blog. You'll find something of value there that then, um, became a book. My first book, which was self-published, Dating Benji, Straight Talk on Improving Your Relationship with Money, in which I kind of made money personalities, kind of like horoscopes for people to identify with, and then find like quick remedies on how to be the best within that kind of personality. The next book, Young Money, Four Proven Actions on Improving Your Relationship While You Still Can, was my business card. This was essentially for millennials in saying that time is your biggest asset and the way you use your time will determine um, the wealth that you create. Uh, something that I still believe, we talk about time value of money all the time within the space. This book was one of those books that just dramatically uh, paid attention to time and how you can use it to your advantage. And lastly is Pay Me in Equity, which is a specialty book, I would say, because it talks about equity compensation, which is growing for um, employers in tech and just in every industry at this point to retain top talent. In that book, I talked about the basics of equity compensation, and I also talked about the the expansion or I expand the definition of equity. I think that equity goes beyond just just like money and wealth, but you can have equity in your family, right? You can have faith, focus, fitness, and I, I caught this these seven things that expanded the definition, the seven pillars of equity, which I really enjoyed writing and and thinking deeply about. But I think that these. Uh, pieces of literature really uh, provide value for the people that pick them up. What was interesting to me about what you just said is being a 24-year-old starting your own firm without you know, necessarily the network. Uh, tell me more about what that was like and what you really learned during that time. Uh, it was challenging, um, but it was a challenge that I embraced. I learned that if you stick with anything, it will stick to you. And I think that was the biggest thing. With consistency, I was able to realize my wildest dreams and beyond, right? I'm here talking to you on a podcast. <laughs> I didn't think that that was going to happen in 2015 when I started. Um, but just just the daily things, you have to do the micro actions that lead to massive success. And that was something that I embraced every day. I embraced um, sending that email, right? Even if I didn't get a response, I embraced making those phone calls. I embraced going to the networking event for the 13th time and not meeting anybody that could potentially be my client. But I knew that this was a part of the process. I think that it's important, no matter what age you're in, if you're thinking about getting into the industry or going independent, it's just to be prepared to take the stairs. And if you think about that analogy, when there's a, a high rise and you have to take the stairs, there's no elevator, your legs get sore um, up on the way. 
right? You get fatigued. You're probably thinking about when you're going to be there. But once you get there, it's the most gratifying experience. And there's going to be a view to be seen um, that you wouldn't have appreciated otherwise. And I think that's something that I did um, while starting Berknell Financial Group. And then did it take you a while to kind of get your, your legs under you as you were starting your firm? It did. It did. I think that part of it is iterations. Like I had to think about the best way to run the firm, uh, pricing models, right? Different ways that we want to mass manage assets. I had to come into my own identity as an advisor and as a business owner yeah. and not try to replicate what I've seen in the industry or at the bank, right? It wasn't, those weren't my clients. That, that wasn't the community that I wanted to serve. So I had to definitely kind of restructure the way things were done and reimagine how they were done. And by doing that, I was able to build the best um, prices, use the best custodians and technology for us. Um, and we've been able to grow because of it. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is being client centered and like that, if we're letting our cl- who we're serving determine our business model, uh, that's a really powerful thing instead of trying to fit, you know, these round pegs and square, square pegs and round holes. Absolutely. It, they call it a niche when you try to find it, but it's a niche when it finds you. <laughs> and if your clients are choosing you, right, and you're having massive success with that specific demographic, you should be able to create a business around that, right? No matter what industry you're in. And I think that that's what happened for me. And while our, our clients come from a variety of different industries, I think that we have a personality or a type of a type of person that likes to work with Burknell Financial Group. And we're going to give them everything they need to to have a great client advisor relationship. Mm, very cool. And I love that, like, the client personality fits with your firm because we found that yeah. with our firm as well. There's definitely a personality. For sure. Uh, so in your books, the last one that you uh, you published was Pay Me in Equity. Uh, again, this, this guide to equity compensation. And so I'm curious, you know, a lot of my work is really helping new planners kind of navigate, navigate their career path. And one of the, one of the conversations I've just been having so frequently is how do firms retain talent? And so I, I know I'm kind of tying them together here. So maybe I'm, I'm get, taking the punchline. Uh, but how, how do you view this equity within the financial planning space? That's a great question. I think that there's a couple of different things that help firm re- firms retain talent. The first is going to be um, equity, obviously, right? For people to have an opportunity to be owners gives them a sense of pride and a responsibility in doing the best that they can do for a company. So whether that's you know a vested schedule for your cliff or graded, whatever the case is, I think that people should have an opportunity to participate in the growth and success of a company. So that's going to be number one. Number two is experience. I I think that especially for young people, there's so many, so many opportunities out there. Right. And sometimes it's easy to um, lose focus, get distracted or try to chase the next biggest, shiniest, bright thing. And quite frankly, financial services, we're not that thing. We're not the shiny thing, but how we can compete, how we can make uh, this ex- this thing valuable is to give young advisors a great experience. What are they learning? What new challenges are they facing, right? How are they able to provide solutions and be a, a voice heard on the team? I think that's super important for any advisor because a lot of times you see young advisors not hands-on. And I think that what the industry is doing right now is allowing advisors to participate in those those, those conversations with clients in those planning sessions, right, and, and getting their hands dirty. So I think that experience is definitely uh, one of those things. Um, and then growth. 
uh, people want to grow. People want to move up the ladder within the firm. They want to build their own businesses, right? They want to be the advisor and, and develop their own communities. So I think a combination of growth, experience, right, and ownership really can can make the difference in financial services for young advisors. Oh, it's so true. And it's so interesting in thinking of um, like this, this, I've heard it called the growth imperative of like firms have to continue to grow so they can continue to provide career tracks for, for new planners because, well, some people are very happy just taking a role and staying in that role. But for a lot of professionals, they want to be moving up. They want to be getting to the next level. Absolutely. Especially in this age, right? You see young, young advisors probably are tuned into social media, probably see a lot of the, the glitz and glam of different industries. Not to say that they want that, but they want to, they want to feel successful, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be great at something. So it, our industry needs to do a better job at giving them that type of growth and the experiences in which they can choose their track, right? I remember being a young trader at my first firm and I was like, this is cool. But I'm not talking to people, right? I didn't like that experience. That wasn't an experience for me. But once I found the uh, investment counselor role, right, just talking to people, um, helping them with their assets, and literally seeing the growth in their portfolios and the growth in our relationships, that was exciting for me. That was success for me. So I think that we need to really define what that looks like so advisors and can come in, choose what they feel successful doing, what makes them happy and joyous every morning and have them grow within those spaces. And you were talking about this idea of success and you've said it multiple times already through this. And so I'm curious, like when you look at success for yourself, what does that mean for you? Um, Success for me is the freedom um, to make choices and impact the communities that I that I love, that I care deeply for, right? I want to be free. That's why I started Breaknail Financial Group. If you read my chapter in uh, How I Invest My Money with Brian Portnoy and Josh Brown, what I talk about is how the way that I invest my time um, is supposed to free up my time so I can give back to the people, places, and things that I love the most. So when I think about success, I think about somebody that has built businesses that allow him to really impact the world, impact my family, be there for all of life's precious moments, right? Impact my clients. And I think that by running this firm and um, helping my clients, I'm able to create that type of freedom to do those things. How is your view of clients and kind of what clients are looking for? How has that evolved over the last, since you started your practice? Yeah, I actually was just reading a study and it asked potential clients, I think a group of sample group of like a thousand people in financial services, what services were the most valuable for them? And I think 96% of people said like financial planning, uh, another 82% of people said investment management, surprisingly another 90, like 2% of people said estate plan and transfer services and just different. There was about 16 things on the study, right? What I've learned from just running Burknell Financial Group is that in an advisor, people want somebody that they can trust to give them sound advice to help them attain their definition of success. And that's it. That's our job. Our job is to give people the advice that they need, the tools that they need to help them attain their definition of success. So that's, I mean, 
whatever that is, right? Like that's our job. And people just want that to know that I can trust this artist's advice and he wouldn't lead me in the wrong direction. And that takes a human advisor approach to be able to see that, right? It's not about your the rate of return on your portfolios. That's not the thing. It's not about how little you charge your clients. That's not the thing. It's about them trusting that you're going to give them the advice, the direction for them to design their wealth. And and that doesn't necessarily mean it's tied to a a dollar amount, a million dollar portfolio. It may be, hey, I, I just want to be there for my kids, right? I want to retire at this time so I can be there for my kids or I want to be able to send my kids to school. And I think that that's the, the overwhelming thing that I've been learning through the folks that I've been working with. You know, you mentioned the human advisor approach, and I think you said something about that um, earlier as well in this podcast. How is that different? How does that compare to other ways that you're seeing advice being given or even this idea of like life planning? Traditionally, our our industry was a salesman's industry, right? It was the guy that was in the double-breasted suit driving a nice car um, trying to sell a security that he thought was going to go up 10x if they bought the stock today, right? That's not being human. That's not being human. Today, what people want is a partner to help them, their spouse, their family make decisions that are going to impact the rest of their lives. And that deals with really intimately getting to know somebody, their concerns, their fears, and their goals, right? Their vision for the future. And I think that person that can do that is a human advisor. He's taking, he or she is taking the human advisor approach. And I think that's where the industry is going because when you look at it, stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds are commoditized. You can get them anywhere. Our clients can get them by themselves if they really wanted to. We're not, that's nothing fancy, right? Um, But that human advisor experience is something that is rare. And once somebody, a, a client has it, they know the value of it. And I think that's that's what advisors need to lean into doing. Mm, so cool. And I love this idea of like bringing in uh, who you are into this picture as well. Like we're not just clients are coming to work with us, not just our advice. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's unfair for us to want to know everything about our clients' lives and not share a little of ours, right? Yeah. So it's mutual. It's It's a mutual relationship. And how do you balance that? Like, is there a place of oversharing? Because I often hear that as a concern with new planners. I think that you always have to be professional, right? But I mean, for example, you can say, I'm invested in the same stuff that you are, right? And, you know, there was one time that I made a mistake like this and I learned from it, right? So I think that there's there's teachable moments. And I think advisors could take advantage of that by using their experiences and showing a little bit of vulnerability to their clients. I think that we need to take advantage of those teachable moments. So another thing that you did, you know, you have your three books uh, and you also have a podcast. So is this podcast really focused for your clients or for other planners or who, who's really the audience for that? Yeah. So the podcast, the Young Money Podcast, its namesake is the book that came out in 2018. Um, it's a mix, mixed bag of content. I would say it's for the clients. Uh, I, the tagline is the place where money and motivation meet. So we'll be talking about, you know, things that can help you improve your financial life and also just things that can keep you encouraged, uh, help you to understand that, you know, it is possible, whatever it is. So I think anybody can take something from it. Uh, large majority of the content has to do with, you know, our clients and prospective clients. So I'm fascinated by this idea of motivation. 
how when you when you talk about money and motivation, tell me more about how do you motivate a client um, around their money? With consistently letting them know that it's it could be done, mm-hmm. which is being in their corner, almost being a cheerleader. Because quite frankly, it's hard. We have the hardest job in the world to help somebody to understand that by investing something today, at some point in the near future. Um, it's going to pay dividends, literally, <laughs> right? Um, you can't see it today, but one day you'll be able to see it. And I think that just requires an advisor to be ready and available for those moments of disbelief, right? You talk about, you know, this whole pandemic. And in March, there was a lot of disbelief in the atmosphere, right? But that was our job to step in and encourage um, clients and, you know, our colleagues even, right? That this will be worth it. And I think that's that's what it is. It's just showing them the roadmap. Um, it's encouraging them that this is going to be beneficial for them and just being ready and available for those times when it seems bleak. You know, it's it's fascinating. One of the terms I've heard people talk about financial planners is our role is to really help um, expand the possibilities of our clients, mm-hmm. expand what's possible. And I'm hearing that in what you're saying as well. Of it's It's almost unbelievable at times what good financial planning can do, but it is possible. Absolutely. Um, but when you think about this this industry, right, and this idea of financial planning, people have an idea of financial planning, um, what they've learned, you know, at the dinner table, what they've seen in their households, right? Doesn't mean it's the right way, but they have an idea of what it is. Our job is to show them the right idea, the right way of doing it, right? Which is um, taking market data, taking what they have and providing, uh, inserting our knowledge, right, about tax law, about the way these investment accounts work, right? And really making, like you said, these dreams a, a possibility, right? And I'm interested because at the beginning of this, you were talking about you know the different models that you have, and you're also putting out information for some of the DIY investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you finding uh, that your clients, do they tend to be converts from the DIY or do they tend to just really want to know, like, what is it that I need to do and go work on their own? Uh, a lot of conversion, right? Um, I have ton of success stories. One that comes to mind is that there was a data scientist at IBM in San Francisco. And when I got her message on LinkedIn, it, it just made me smile because she was like, I've been listening to your podcast for five months and I want to be a client. Her decision was already made, right? But she took the time to listen to the content, to listen to some of the instructions um, and, and the advice that we were given and said, like, this is somebody that I should be working with. They know their stuff, right? So I think that um, naturally people are going to try. They're going to at least look into how something is done, right? How do I make this cake or how do I do this? But it doesn't hurt to, to get some help. So when you look back at your career, what advice do you, what advice was particularly helpful as you started out or advice that you wish you would have had? Uh, advice. The best advice that I got um, was from my mom, actually. I started Burknell and started incorporating and filing my ADV and doing all that stuff. In the fall of 2015, our doors officially opened in January of 2016. So, I mean, a quarter went by and I got my first check for the quarter. I was checking the mailbox like every day to like see it. We had brought in so many households um, and I was just so excited about, you know, getting paid for the first time as a business owner, a young business owner. And as we're there, my the check came in. Actually, I called the place because it was, it didn't come in. And they were like, hey, we decided not to send your check because 
pretty much the package that it was going to come in was more than the check itself. <laughs> it was more than the check itself. So they were like, we're going to roll it over to, to next quarter when you have a full quarter under your belt. And I was crushed. And I called my mom like, hey, mom, I, I'm going to go back to the bank because this isn't work it, worth it. I've done all this work. I, I've put myself out there. I've been writing in this blog. I've been doing all this stuff. And the paper is worth more than the check. I can't, right? And the thing that my mom said to me, she she said, like, on the phone, I felt like she was looking me in the eye through the phone. She was like, hey, stay calm. You are going to thank yourself five years from now for, um, because you stuck with it, because you decided to get up every day and do the work, because you're smart, you're intelligent, you're capable. Just stick with it. And here I am um, today, you know, end of 2020, and my five-year anniversary is in January, and I'm so glad that I did. Right. So the, the one piece of advice that I can have for anybody who's in pursuit of a career in financial services, pursuit of going independent is just stick with it. Continue to do the the micro things, the small things daily that are going to allow you to steal an inch off the table a day. If you keep taking an inch off the table per day, like in football, a game of inches, you're going to score. And I think that's something that I would tell myself. One of the new roles that have come out for you in the last couple of months is that you're now a head of community at Altruist. Tell me more of what you're doing there and kind of what, what that role entails. Um, I'm doing things like this, right? So I'm helping advisors see the potential in themselves through utilizing Altruist's technology, um, doing great content through our Grow with Altruist um, weekly podcast, right? That comes out every week on Wednesday. And I'm helping with the formation and, you know, the planning for the technology that we plan on rolling out in 2021. So Altruist has been great. I actually was a guest on their Human Advisor podcast. And now here we are working with uh, over almost a thousand advisors on the platform, right? Wow. And, and I think there's a lot of upside. There's going to be a great it's going to just be a great thing when it's fully rolled out next year. So I'm super excited to be working with the Altruist team. Oh, that's awesome. And so for people who don't know what Altruist is and are like, what, what is this? <laughs> what is Altruist? Yeah. So Altruist is a full service technology platform for advisors to help them, their clients reach their goals. So if you're an advisor starting your business, you can go over to altruist.com, right? And there we have uh, technology capabilities for you to build your clients, manage their investments, buy fractional shares, integrate other uh, technologies such as CRM, TD, Ameritrade's iRebound, right? All of these cool tools that allow you to have your clients have a seamless client experience. And I think that is something that, you know, for a long time, um, advisors had to kind of make their own tech stacks, right? Um, you had to kind of piece together um, all these different technologies from all of these different vendors. And pretty much now, 80% or more of that can be done just by using the Altruist platform. So I think that's something that's going to be game changing as it pertains to um, the advisor experience and definitely for their their client experience. Oh, very cool. It is so exciting to see how much innovation there is within within our space of financial planning, within technology, within um, just new firms being created uh, and, and new career paths at existing firms. So so it's very exciting to hear about about those new new things on the horizon or that are already here. Yeah, they're here. And, and, and the thing is. In this year, right, this past year, 2020, the pandemic was rough for a lot of people. Yeah. But crisis does accelerate change, right? So I think that you're seeing that 
in our industry, how people are meeting with their clients, right, via Zoom, how people are thinking about technology. It's all changing very rapidly. So over the course of the next year and beyond, I think that we're going to see a lot of changes um, in the way the business looks, feels, and is done. So I'm excited for that. We all know how important it is to have quality disability insurance. Through the FPA and Ryan Insurance, you have access to a group disability insurance policy as an FPA member. I know this firsthand because I've gotten my personal disability insurance through the FPA group disability insurance for many years. It streamlined the process for me and provided an affordable and easy option to ensure that me and my family are protected in case something were to happen. The open enrollment for group disability insurance starts February 1st. Go to associationinsurancebenefits.com to find the rates and how you can sign up. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.